In this edition of the podcast, the tearing down of historic monuments. Is it out of respect to those who suffered oppression at the hands of colonialism? Or is it the censoring of public art? We speak to urban sculptor Jane Kavanagh for an artist perspective. And the position of First Nation artists. Travis DeVries shares his thoughts on imperialist monuments and the underlying presence of racism in the arts in general. I'm Tim Stackpole and this is Inside the Gallery. Thanks for downloading the podcast once again. Again, coming from the backyard studio, still keeping isolated when possible. So please excuse any dogs barking or planes flying overhead. And there does seem to be a few more in the skies these days. And I do hope you are continuing to cope as best you can, as well as you can in the current situation. Thanks again to our sponsor, Pixel Perfect Pro Lab, for all your professional photographic and print reproduction needs. And that 20% saving on your first job that they're offering with Pixel Perfect, it still stands. Just mention this podcast when you place your first order. Head to pixelperfect.com.au. Now, their support of this podcast contributes to the transcripts of our interviews, so please also make that known to any hearing-impaired art lovers who may be interested. And those transcripts can be downloaded from the podcast description at www.insidethegallery.com.au. Now, the death of George Floyd in the US on May 25th raised plenty of issues that need addressing, not just in the US but around the world. And I have left it till now to discuss the particular topic of colonial and imperialist memorials and statues, just to give the debate a bit of time to mature and settle. Otherwise, I generally find the conversation can be very much overwhelmed with emotion rather than reason. We're going to hear from two artists in this episode, giving their perspectives primarily as artists. First, let's hear from Jane Kavanagh. Jane has just recently been awarded two New South Wales Landscape Architecture Awards for her artistry work and also won the 2013 Register of Military Monuments of National Significance Award. Her work is very extensive and is diverse. And Jane, thanks for joining us on Inside the Gallery. Pleasure, Tim. First of all, there's bound to be division in the community regarding the significance or noteworthiness of monuments over time. But what position as an artist do you think we should take when it comes to statues that represent oppression or or the exploitation of certain sections of the community? Well, my view is that we have all walked past statues and monuments and never given them a thought because, after all, they're pretty boring. Um, (laughs) There are points in time, though, when social actions do create a tipping point, and this is one. And what it clearly shows is that we are all a part of our history, white and black, and that the history of the powerful and the abused is very alive and current, and it doesn't really go away. Uh, Defacing monuments as part of the Black Lives Matter movement, I think, has given them a new life. And I don't think that monuments do need to last forever, but I do strongly believe that new work should be commissioned to tell the counterpoint stories and that's an opportunity to look forward to. Yeah and what do you think of the idea of just changing the narrative around statues and monuments? So you know we have certain plaques say on on the Captain Cook monument that said you know he discovered Australia and all that sort of talk. If we merely just change that narrative can we leave these monuments where they are do you think? Look, I think there's options for both and sometimes it is good to do interventions that uh, create 
a little bit of noise because it's important that we understand where we've all come from. I, I think uh, repositioning is okay. I also think that leaving them there is okay. I think the important thing, though, is to create works that address what is important today, and that's racism. But that also needs to be addressed at a political and policy level across society. It's it's not just through public monuments and plaques, although I do think it's incredibly interesting that monuments and statues have been the target of yeah. creating a louder voice for it. In particular, rather than, do you mean just regular political discourse? Yes. It actually reminds me very much of a work by David Goldblatt, the South African photographer, called Roads Must Fall. And it's a picture of the statue of Cecil Rhodes that he took, which was in the Cape Town University grounds. And over time, of course, Cecil Rhodes has come to represent everything bad about imperialism. And the students there pretty much lobbied to have that statue removed. And there's a great photo that David Goldblatt took of the statue being removed and all the students taking a photo of that statue being removed. Yes, and that'll become more powerful very, in the statue. Yes, that's right. And it certainly has. It almost looks like there's a praise or a worship going on with everyone holding their phones in the air, taking the, the picture. Probably a worship of the statue being removed rather than of the statue, of course, is the message. Yes. But he was very much of the view that the end of apartheid meant the liberation of those that had been oppressed for so long. And yet those who had been oppressed for so long were now oppressing the expression of those that came before them, if you, if you know what I mean. Yes. And, and, he felt, and he felt that was very disappointing, that this liberation had meant a new type of oppression. Well, that's, that's how history rolls, isn't it? it? Really, when you look back in history, it really is the vanquished and how the powerful have kept rising and it just keeps repeating itself. Yes, but I think there's also a matter of perspective. The difference between a war criminal and a war hero depends on who won the war. I, I think very much to the images I remember from the Iraq conflict and when the Allied troops went into Baghdad, they pulled down that statue of Saddam Hussein. Do you remember those yes. uh, amazing pictures? And I kind of wonder whether the statue should have remained as a symbol of his oppression in the past rather than the pulling down of the statue being a symbol of the victory of those who had invaded the city. Yes, well, these are all moments in time and uh, passions do arise and actions are taken. So mm. it says a lot about what's happening at that time for those people. But I just wonder with your work, and your work is very extensive as I indicated in the introduction, over the passage of time, could you ever imagine your own work coming under scrutiny for whatever it might be seen to represent? Well, I was involved in the design of the Boer War Memorial, which is located on Anzac Parade in Canberra, and we yeah. won that design in a national competition. The history of it is quite interesting because Australia supplied many of the horses and there was a special breed called the Whaler, uh, which has been an important war horse and export for us. And in that war, 60% of them died compared to 3% of the men who were killed. They, they were falling like flies and mm. they died from starvation and exhaustion in what was a very grubby war of, of British imperialism. And our design uh, showed half-buried skeletal horses to, and it was far more expressionistic than the final result. 
and the committee of retired military personnel were very clear that we could only win the job if we changed the horses to a more lifelike depiction. And personally for me, this was hugely disappointing and I think the depiction, although it is a beautiful memorial, uh, I think the depiction can be critiqued with reason. After all, I think that war was over 120 years ago and if we can't stand back uh, with a critical eye, uh, that's a little bit difficult. But it really showed me how important the it is for a working public space as to who the commissioning agent is and what yeah. their experience is bringing to the project. It is just so yeah. important. Yeah, and that's something that I think I've discussed with um, other sculptors of public works before on this podcast is how you have to adapt your mindset to the commercial reality of what art can achieve for you in terms of a profession. I don't know whether you'd call that a compromise or a, um, or a commercial understanding when you have to do that. I felt very compromised in that project and I was happy to walk away from it. But the people I was working with who are, they're a firm of landscape architects, they'd invested a lot of money into it. And mm. in the end, it did become a commercial decision. So from that perspective, when you're working in a team, a design team of, of design professionals, uh, it does become more complicated. Colonised Australia has a very short history compared to the rest of the world. You particularly point in some of your essays to what the work the Germans have done, um, especially monuments in Berlin, looking back at their history. Do you think we're kind of immature when compared to something like that? Mm. I think that there has been, a, from a political point of view, uh, an active discouragement to look at our history, and that started 10, 20 years ago with John Howard, with uh, his reluctance to engage with Indigenous history. We're really not mature enough to be able to step back and critique what white Australians have done. And I was particularly inspired when I went to Germany to see what the Germans have achieved in the last 20 years and my experience was really only in Berlin but the Holocaust uh, Museum, the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe, the memorial for, uh, oh, they've got this amazing Gestapo Museum, uh, mm. a memorial to the murdered homosexuals. There's a real effort that has been made to look at what the Nazi regime did and how can we openly face up to it in the most amazing way. It was so moving. And the, the other, the, uh, rather than looking at the really large and monumental, there's an amazing project, it's the Stolperstein project. It's a project devised by an artist who still makes all these cobblestones. They're brass cobblestones and they indicate where and how the Jews or people who were homosexual and they indicate where they were taken from, where they were sent to and when they died and from out, right outside of where this happened. And those cobblestones are just everywhere in Berlin, which 
so discreetly shows how widespread the, this form of terror was. It's terribly mm. moving and so discreet. Does art have a place in uncovering the unpleasant side of culture, of life? And we've talked a lot about politics as well. Does, is, is that perhaps an underlying core need in terms of what art should do? I think art has a very important role in that, and I think that's something where art in the public realm could really move towards. And again, it comes back to uh, how brave the commissioning agents are because you've got to get back to who pays for it. And Mm. uh, that's where the Germans have been so incredible in, in what they've done to explain something so horrific and widespread. It's, it's, it's tough, I think, when it comes to war memorials in particular, and, and especially when you're talking about the specifications of the commission that you receive as an artist. But moving on from all of that, are you allowed to have a favourite when it comes to a particular project or a piece of work that you've done? Is this something you're particularly proud of? Well, I'm very pleased with my latest work, which is uh, Latin for Born from Fire. And it's located in the forecourt of a new multi-dwelling development in Alexandria that is really quite superb. It's a sustainable piece of architecture by DKO and Breathe Architects that's getting a lot of publicity at the moment. And the building facade is all recycled bricks. And that references, it's not only used as as the building material because it's sustainable, it's also referencing the Sydney brickworks, which are in Sydney Park just opposite the building. My sculpture is a grouping of three large core ten, which is rusty steel, tapering conical forms, and two are standing vertically and one is horizontal. They're inspired by the Sydney brickworks smokestacks. And some of the cone apertures are encased with glass and they're internally lit. And I'm particularly pleased with it, not only because it's just been part of a, an award with the Institute of Landscape Architects, but um, I'm really pleased with the context it has to the building with the materials and also the composition. It was a great project and I have an amazing fabricator who makes the work look incredibly simple, but in fact the forms were very difficult to make and uh, so it's a very pleasing result for me. I'm pleased you're very happy with it because it is a striking piece and I think it does reflect well in the environment that it's in. Just before we finish, I just want to ask you, because you're so prolific with what you do, there's a feeling in the broader arts community that it's a sector that's kind of being forgotten and public art and installations, they're significant. What do you think public art brings to a space and a community? Do, do we need it? Is it an essential part of our urban landscape? Well, look, is art essential? It's the same debate. And mm. uh, for me, I'm particularly interested in the relationship between art, sculpture and, and community. And I used to be a landscape architect, and this is how I got into the field of uh, making urban sculpture. So it was a progression that seemed fairly clear to me and I wanted to make a living as an artist. That was was really important and I couldn't see when I was using sump oil, gas and and ice uh, when I was making work for galleries. That was not going to make a living for me. So that's how I progressed into making public art. And uh, I guess being interested in urban design, landscape design, to me, 
the inclusion of art is such a benefit to the finished outcome. And that's because I think public art's an opportunity to reinvigorate space and it's an opportunity to remember or engage with. It can be glorious and humorous. And I'm thinking there of Nikki St. Defile's sculpture in, it's a main, in the main railway station. She's a large, beautiful, busty woman with wings hanging above the, uh, the people. And it's, it's marvellous. And in which railway station is this? Zurich. In Zurich, okay. Yes. Yep. Yes, and it can be it can be iconic or it can be large and hidden and temporary or permanent. It's got so much potential and when it's really well done, that's often a result of working in design teams where the artist is brought on right at the beginning. And yeah. uh, it just makes such a difference. Well, Jane, look, it's been lovely to speak to you and get your perspective on so many issues that we've covered in the podcast today, and I thank you for your time. Thank you, Tim. Jane Kavanagh there, giving us an urban spaces and sculptures perspective on the tearing down of monuments and a bit of an insight into her own work and philosophy. And to take a look at her work, head to www.janekavanagh.com.au. Now, that's Kavanagh with an O-U-G-H on the end. janekavanagh.com.au. So, now to the First Nations perspective wrapped up in the view from an artist. Travis DeVries is a Gamilaroi man. He specialises in the delivery of culturally diverse projects and events across venues and artistic disciplines. He began his professional career as a performer for Bangara Dance Theatre, and today he is a visual artist, a writer, and a creator of dark fiction, drawing on his Gamilaroi cultural heritage and his connection to Europe via his grandfather. We're going to discuss his work Cook Falling, Tear It Down, which depicts a scene in Hyde Park in Sydney where a group of Aborigines have tied a rope around the iconic yet sometimes polarising statue of Captain Cook and they've begun to unseat it from its podium. Travis, thanks for taking the time to chat with us on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Now, we've been talking through this podcast about about monuments and artworks being torn down because they represent some type of oppression or exploitation to certain sections of the community. What's your position on that? Um, I think, like, I mean, obviously, I've I've done a quite evocative piece of artwork that that speaks to that. But in terms of like the idea of statues and um, monuments being taken down, like, I, I think that these like deification of certain people who have done certain things is like is problematic in itself as well. Monuments are. are you know, a part of worship as well. Like we're choosing as a society of like who we hold above as this, like, this is, this is who we, this is our greatest person. Yeah. Um, and so like, as soon as they become tarnished in our eyes, it's like, well, why, why are we continuing to deify them? Like I totally see particularly in Australia monuments as being part of this, uh, narrative of repression, um, and like continued narrative of, holding up the systems of oppression obviously there's the my work uh cook falling tear it down is looking at a very particular statue of captain cook who was part of the impetus for the colonization of australia um and like the fact that he is deified in like a place of importance within the city and and in the cityscape of sydney is and kind of you know like i i I walk past there a couple of times a week yeah and uh i have this like overlord white person kind of staring down at me 
it's like, well, you know, what does that, you know, what does that say to me? Yeah. It says to me something very different to than it does to say if Scott Morrison's walking past it. Yeah. So, and you yeah. talked about the evocative works that you've created that particularly speak to this issue, but how about over the passage of time, you know, our perspective changes on these things, but could you see, or have you ever thought about perhaps any of your work being removed or tarnished because over time it may be seen as being inappropriate. How's your perspective on that? Well, I mean, absolutely. And I'll, you know, I I would assume that by that time I'll be long gone and won't, mm. you know, mm. Captain Cook doesn't care. Um, and and like, I don't think, I, yes, I, I, ha- I actually, I have self-censored some of my works because like, I'm like, oh yeah, I've explored that for myself. Mm. But that's you know it's not necessarily a public piece of art. Yeah. Um, and I guess like in terms of like a lot of my works are not public pieces of art; they're in private collections, and so like private collections can do what they want yeah. with those works. Yeah. If if my works become part of the public realm, which and some of them are, like and if in during my lifetime that there is debate around whether they are acceptable i mean i quite welcome it really like it's you know i I find that that's like an interesting thing of this idea of like oh no once something is made and it's in the public realm like oh it needs to be in the public realm forever we can't we can never have sort of any conversation around whether we still want it to exist yeah to compare it to something else you know why are we not having mind comp in every taught in every class in australia yeah yeah, because the ideas expressed in it are inappropriate and horrific. Yes, yes, and this is uh, and I mentioned in the previous interview with Jane Kavanagh as well in this podcast a statue of Saddam Hussein being pulled down during the fall of Baghdad by the Coalition of the Willing at the time, of course, didn't raise any eyebrows at all because he was seen as a tyrant, as we would perhaps statues of Hitler. You talked about Mein Kampf and. And Stalin too. But the other side of this, though, I think, and I want to talk about art in this respect, Travis, is that these sculptures are also works of art. And and, yeah, and, and how torn do we get as as artists or or those who appreciate art that yes, perhaps it's a representation of something that we do find insulting or oppressive, but at the same time, it is somebody's piece of art. And to what extent do we have the right to decide that it's not worthy anymore as a work of art? I think that we as a community or as a society have every right to decide that a piece of art is no longer, especially one in the public arena, um, is no longer something that we want to like celebrate as yeah. being part of it. And, and like, I couldn't tell you who the artist is that made most of these mm. monuments. Mm. I don't think most people could. They're not a Picasso. Uh, and, and not to like laugh it off and, you know, say that, you know, anyone who's not a Picasso shouldn't be, you know, should be up for debate. Like at every point, like if someone's art and somewhat like is glorifying something that's no longer representative of our morals as a society, like I think there's room to always have that conversation. Yeah. It just like, it seems so strange to me that people are like, well, well, then we, we need to save this. Art on one level is ephemeral as well and will eventually everything goes away yeah um so like you know a state of change for an art piece is not a bad thing yeah um it's it's us saying as a society that we want we want to change this and put something else in its place there's better representative as of our goals and morals and what we want to do now as a society as a whole but it's not it's not cut and dried though and this is where i think the difficulty is is i mean do we say that 
any effigy that represents a level of oppression or conquering is inappropriate and has to go. I mean, do we have to draw a line like that? Yeah, no, but I don't think anyone's ever saying that. It's it's so like, I don't know, there's this conversation around monuments and statues and I think like a whole lot of other issues get kind of conflagrated into that conversation and mm-hmm. like pulled on by anyone trying to sort of, I guess, detract from that debate. Often because we see these statues and monuments being pulled down, they are like, they're being pulled down in the heat of the moment. Um, it might be a long running campaign, but it seems like the the kind of debate around them is never actually entered into mm. by either side. You know, we've not seen it on Q and A a debate about the statues, yeah. or we've not seen it in Parliament a debate about the statues. It's just like it's a hard line no, and then the people who are going to tear it down just come in and do it anyway because at some point that's the will of society being enacted. Yeah. Do you think there's merit in in relocation rather than straight out destruction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if we're talking about like interpretation and like one I think one of the best arguments that people make for uh not tearing things down and not destruct destroying these kind of monuments is that oh, we need to learn from the past. Mm. Um and we'll like okay, well we're not actually learning anything from the past by having these like glorification of colonialism Mm. because we're not like there's no sort of interpretive messaging alongside the statue there's uh, alongside most statues there's a very simple plaque kind of message and there's there's very little taken from that um if you were to relocate something into a museum and alongside that have really detailed notes that's a it's a very different conversation yeah. and note like that's something that's an argument that people who are on the let's keep the statues side of the debate are using but they're not using it very well like yeah but you you will always come up against the politics of it saying well this is part of our heritage this is part of our culture this is part of the australia that we live in now and there's no reason to remove it. I mean, that's kind of like the attitude that the counter argument comes up against, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and it is. And then you see the same the same people kind of very quiet when a First Nations sacred site is just quietly bulldozed yeah. or destroyed by a mining company. Yeah. So it's you know what what's what's the kind of more important piece a sacred site that's tens of thousands of years old with a, a real connection to this land and our and our current society yeah um and our traditional society or one person who did one thing who talking particularly about captain cook yeah. discovered australia there was already people here yeah um i just you mentioned first nations there um and we ha- mm. and we haven't really in the very brief chat that we've had you've been able to talk about your your culture and your heritage but I was interested to read, after I'd asked you to do this interview, uh, the piece you wrote in Arts Hub about the what I refer to as the accidental or unintentional racism in the arts. And you feel that there is a fundamental racism that still exists within the arts in that, for instance, when you're working at the Opera House, you were pretty much seconded into roles that met with your Indigenous heritage and other such examples of that. I mean, is it the arts seems to be trying to do what it can to improve and increase diversity and and indeed tries to be at the forefront of that in society, I think. But you don't see it that way. No, I absolutely I do agree with you that the arts tries to do um, exactly what you say and does try to be at the forefront of diversity. But I think like, I mean, this is a, very, it's a big conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but the arts, uh, the way it's currently in Australia and a lot of places around the world, it is again a systemic product of the colonial machine, yeah. the way it works, and so it has no choice but to be a racist structure. Mm. Mm. It was a very interesting piece because your your article did kind of take a sharp turn when I read that, and I thought that I've fallen into that same trap by getting you to talk about this. No, but as as have I. Like I'm I'm also part of the problem, and I totally recognise that. Like that I'm not out there drawing necessarily all of the things that interest me or painting all of the things that interest me. I'm still painting First Nations works that like mm. that need because I need to. Mm. And, and, you know, the more that we shine a light on that within the industry and within ourselves and kind of question that, the better we all are. Yeah. Well, one would hope so. so. Yeah. Well, I think like my truth and the way I've grown up and my perspectives is very different from someone who's grown up in a right-wing household and like, you know, we're all stuck in our own truth. And so to see these other sides of that, we're only going to grow as a society for it mm. and grow hopefully stronger. Mm. Now, we haven't spoken much about your art at the moment. I think you're just wrapping up a exhibition at the Bankstown Arts Centre. What have you got coming up next? Uh, I'm working on, actually, I'm working on a graphic novel, which kind of comes from the Cook, Tear It Down um, piece, um, was just a sort of study for the uh, style and content of it. Um, and was a just a scene, a speculative scene for the graphic novel. Right. Um, so I'm kind of a little bit locked away working on that and um, putting together my uh, Archibald entry. Actually. Oh, as well. Wow. Okay. So quite busy. <laughs> I tend to be a little bit busy. I also run the podcast for Originals. Yes. And, um, with your brother, that's right. With your brother? W- yeah, with yep. my brother. Yep. And the um, the uh, podcast network platform, Awesome Black. So I'm kind of uh, burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, very much so. Now, let me just get back to your graphic novel for a moment. Are you illustrating and writing that as well? Yeah, very much in the spirit of collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> very much in the spirit of um, of isolation and lockdown, really. <laughs> yeah, in amongst a few sourdoughs. Yeah, yes, very much like that. Look, uh, Travis, I really do appreciate your time talking to us about this. Uh, it, it can be very highly charged and a very highly emotional issue. You seem to be taking a very rational perspective on how to move forward with this. And I really appreciate your time on the podcast. No, thanks, Tim. And, and thanks for having me on. Um, and, you know, I definitely invite people to have more conversations about this because I really think it's important to have continue to have rational and, um, I guess, well thought through discussions about how we actually do move forward as a society within this space. Yeah. Thank you again. No, no problem. Thanks, Tim. That's artist and writer Travis DeVries there, giving us his perspective on the current debate around memorials and how we should approach the times and behaviours that they represent. And you can learn and see more of his work at travisdevries.com. And that is the podcast for now. If you missed any of the links mentioned in this episode, you can always visit www.insidethegallery.com.au where you will find them in the description of this edition as well as a link to the transcripts, always made possible by Pixel Perfect Pro Lab. And there's also links at our website to our Facebook and Instagram pages, so please follow, as well as a link to sign up for our mailing list, which will only ever alert you to a newly published edition of this podcast, I promise. And you can unsubscribe at any time. Do what you can at the moment to support the arts, keep safe, follow social distancing as locally advised, wash your hands and stop touching your face, I'm Tim Stackpole. Bye-bye for now.